0: to the Bloody Broads pod. We're your Bloody Broads. I'm Bhavna Sharma.
1: And I'm Jamie Howard. We are your horror guides from page to screen and everything in between. And this week, we have our good friend Kevin on to talk about I Know What You Did Last Summer. Welcome!
2: Hi! Uh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> and I do want to know what you did last summer, but not in a scary way. <laughs> <laughs> Was anyone's summer not scary
0: during a pandemic? Mm. I mean, uh, we all lived with some level of fear. Correct. That's,
2: yeah, yeah, very correct.
1: It wasn't a man with a hook for a hand, but it was pretty close.
0: <laughs> I mean, what better way to describe uh, this pandemic other than man door, hand hook, car door?
1: Yeah. This is the second <laughs> episode that we've referenced that copy pasta because it's so funny to me. It is. Uh, I love it. It's so ridiculous. Well, uh, Kevin, you're the host of The Calls Are Coming From Inside the Podcast, so how are things going over there?
2: Good. We are just probably wrapping up at this point, the -the up-to-the-minute horror month where I'm trying to focus on 2022 movies to really, you know, we love our classic movies, but I wanted to really get people's feelings about current movies uh, so we don't, like, lose track of that or lose sight of their meaningness Um, because i'm always interested in with calls inside podcast is looking at the human side of horror and kind of understanding people's you know their feelings about it right like how do you feel as a person not as much about you know aesthetics or the critical lens Uh, (laughs) i think that you know the personal is political as they say and so i think our personal way that we interpret horror that we engage with horror is also you know political (laughs) and it's important for me to unpack um so that's why I kind of wanted to look at well where where are we at in this moment and I really need to step it up though because there's so many movies I want to get into
0: (laughs) oh man that kind of answers our next question but I mean what have you what horror have you been watching (laughs) lately then if you want to name a few titles that you like
2: Yeah, it's been interesting. I just watched Night's End, uh, which is Jennifer Reeder's latest film on Shudder. It's really fun. Um, Great times. We might get more into that. I watched also, this isn't a horror movie. I watched the documentary um, Captive Audience on Hulu, which is a really interesting, bizarre story of a boy who is kidnapped and returned seven years later and then a separate serial killer situation happening uh after that time it's a very interesting story so if you like true crime stuff i would recommend it if you don't totally understandable and you can avoid it
1: i've almost started that like four times but it looks so convoluted that i need right now i need like smooth brain entertainment you know Mm. like easy
2: watches (laughs) yeah exactly
0: oh man no I will put that on the list because I am a true crime junkie as weird as a statement as that is Mm -hmm. (laughs) but no no, I will definitely look that up it looks interesting
2: yeah it's I found it really interesting and it ties into a lot of different things media politics all the things you like
1: yeah amazing (laughs) well Let's dive right into it. You know, like I said before, here at Bloody Broads Pod, our guests come first. So why don't you give us your first thoughts?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, as we said, I think at the start, like, where do we begin? Where do we end? What does it all mean? I know what you did last summer. I feel, I guess my first point is I feel like it's it's underrated. Even though it was very popular, it was number one at the box office for its first three weeks, right? Like, this is a popular film. But I think it's regarded as lesser than Scream, right? Or lesser than certain other movies that came out at that time period. For me, it's always been my favorite of that series. I do not think it's a better movie than Scream, but I just love it so much. I love its particularity and kind of what it's doing um, with a slasher storyline. So I guess that's my first talking point, right, is... Why is this movie uh, cast aside a little bit, or <laughs> seen as a as a lesser product of the slasher genre?
0: Good question. Yeah,
1: we're just kind of sitting here, Bob and I, just yeah. kind of sitting here, like making the like squinty eyes at each other. Like that is a really good question. That's
0: a I, really good question.
1: <laughs> do we think it has something to do with? The fact that the stars of this film were TV, mostly actors at the time, which is definitely more prestigious now than it was in 1998. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, possibly. I mean, I also think that like it's a little bit odd to me that it was cast aside given the cast itself. I mean, I know they weren't mm. huge at that time. Like I know a lot of them hit their stride kind of afterward, uh, like Sarah Michelle Geller. Especially, like, she got Buffy, what, not too long after? I want to say, like, a year or two? She was... After?
2: Oh, no. I, I was looking up when they filmed. So, Buffy premiered the same month that they started filming. I know what you did last summer.
0: What? What? Okay. What flex
1: for her career. It was. She was everything.
2: <laughs> We're going to talk about her a lot, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> we... Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean... You know, I think it's genuinely just one of my favorite credits and like opening scenes to a horror film ever. Yes. Uh, I think it has one of the best covers of a song and it's a probably my favorite use of like the whole cover a song from an unexpected genre trope. Uh, it's Summer Breeze, which is a 70s song. It's very lovely and hippy dippy, but it's covered by type O negative who are very grunge <laughs> and <laughs> very
0: not hippy dippy.
1: No. Uh, all the children of the 90s say amen. Um and I love it. I think it is such a good use of – because, you know, if you were a teenager in this era, you were solidly Gen X. And I think it's such a good use of that uh, sort of – I don't even know how to say it. It's like the the whole, like, unfazed youth, you know, like the I'm completely just immune to everything that's not my own interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is definitely something this movie did a lot and the music kind of helped with that, just like pointing out how selfish teens are. Holy shit, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like all of them even the ones that are quote-unquote good like jennifer love hewitt's character you know still completely selfish and pigeonholed and like had tunnel vision on her life etc etc but to bring it back to the music for a second like i don't know where it featured in the movie but i remembered it was on the soundtrack and i love the soundtrack so much and one of my favorite canadian 90s grunge songs but um uh, clumsy by our lady peace <sighs> Which yes. kinda apt to the plot given how um the person at the side of the road, fisherman, whoever, was like half a like wakes up, starts attacking who's it, Helen, and then mm-hmm. he gets pushed into the water. If you listen to the lyrics of Clumsy
2: It was a pretty clumsy situation, yes.
0: It was she's like,
1: he has my crown, and I'm like, girl, that <laughs> is a plastic crown from Party City. It yeah. literally looks like the plastic um Disney princess crowns that they used to sell at Claire's. I was like, you could buy another one. Right. No one has to know.
0: And I mean, the lyrics, I'll be waving my hands, watching you drown. drown. (laughs) Watching (laughs) you scream, quiet
2: or loud. And he was waving his hand with that crown. Uh, (laughs) He was. Yeah, (laughs) while he he was drowning. drowning. Because I do love that song. And I remember that music video. That was like a very specific thing because it was so connected to the the soundtrack yep. which for a while was my only uh, uh, real connection to the movie um, background of like i wasn't allowed to watch r rated movies when i was a kid so i had to get into these horror movies that i was really interested in a different way and like this soundtrack specifically i wanted to mention and call out cuz i got that soundtrack even if i wasn't allowed to watch the movie i could still get like <laughs> paraphernalia uh, connected with it <laughs> And so the soundtrack was just everything to me.
0: It's almost like, here's a t-shirt with a violent motif on it, but you can't watch the movie.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: And you know what's funny is that I always relate to a lot of 90s slashers, but especially the ones with teenagers in them or early 20-somethings. And I talk about this all the time off pod, and eventually I'll have some kind of cohesive thought process around this. But I especially want to talk about it when you were on Kev because, mm-hmm. to me, there's a very stark difference between pre Columbine teen slashers and post Columbine teen slashers. Mm. Columbine had a huge impact, like on me and my family. Like our from like literally the day after it happened, two days later we got a letter sent home in our backpacks. Every student must have clear backpacks. My brother was in high school at the time. And he, or was about to start high school, and he had to have uh, a clear backpack, and they had to walk through metal detectors. It was literally overnight. And there was that loss of innocence, I think, whereas before, you know, even with Scream, the teenagers are the victims, right? Mm -hmm. And in this movie, they're the villains. Right. Yes. I realize how, like. Out of the blue, that sounds, but it's like sits in my mind every time I watch one of these movies.
2: (laughs) And that, yeah, that theme got picked up on. I mean, I think this movie was popular enough to make that a standard, standard enough to kind of add a morally questionable area for for teens in their slasher movies going forward or later on. Um, But I think you're right, especially in the 2000s, like the characters were more. Uh, despicable in a sense or like or could be they yeah. were allowed to be hated
0: well that would that expanded outside of horror too like I I think I'm the oldest of the bunch here but like I started high school in 2002 so like we were like the fresh batch of like pe- like little kids that grew up with the stuff that was going on with Columbine and moving into high school so we had all those like insane rules thankfully we didn't have a metal detector but we had Hall monitors which were never a thing Like these adults that were hired To literally mm. be like pseudo Security guards Because mm-hmm. I went to school like literally in the heart Of downtown Toronto so it was And we were near one of the most densely populated areas In all of Canada which means low income Which means you guys do the math um, yeah. <laughs> Which means They hired hall monitors Because the local students you know We're all vagrants And poor and whatnot. But um, <laughs> where I was going with this was like um, I started high school then so like all the TV and all the teen stuff that was coming out then teens were despicable like you're gonna laugh but look at the OC for example the OC started in like 2001 I believe like sort of just the summer of 2002 I think just as Mm. I was starting high school because it was the first show I watched beginning to end um, on TV fun fact but like uh, (laughs) that and alias but it the teens For dumbfucks. A lot of them. (laughs) They were all dumb. They were all stupid. They were all mean. They were all bitchy. They broke all, like, the rules of a teenage show. Like, it's not Boy Meets World anymore, guys. Like
1: It's the real world. (laughs) It's the real world.
0: But As soon as
1: you said broke the rules, I was like... (laughs) uh, All I could think of was the OG, like, real world tag that they would say, you know, at the beginning of the show. Yes. Anyways.
0: But, yeah, like, just the, the portrayal of teens in media changed drastically overnight.
2: Like now you were getting little shitheads being portrayed for the shitheads that were on screen. We need that shithead representation. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Listen, there's a lot of them in this movie. And I think too, you know, something that we all kind of touched on, class is very central to the conflict in this Mm -hmm. movie. And I was so excited that we all three kind of mentioned it because I think it's really funny that even though this takes place in North Carolina, the rest of them are pretty posh, even though it's supposed to be like a fishing town. And then, uh, oh my gosh, the sister, the, whose name I'm blanking out on. Uh, Elsa. They live on this, yeah. No, 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 no. Not, uh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not Helen Shiver's sister, Elsa Shiver. But, <laughs> the uh the sister of um oh missy Egan. the guy they of- missy yes <laughs> they live out in the sticks and she's like in this big like southern gothic house and then her like little fishing shack in the back and she's the only one with a southern accent and mm-hmm. it drives me insane
2: it's i did pick that up a lot this time where you know, generally, I think it is another twisting of the slasher trope and why I wanted to come back to this as like, no, this is actually in some ways doing better, more like c- connected things, right? Like why set it in North Carolina if you're not going to try to make it feel like North Carolina? Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but then they give uh they give one of the guys Barry they give him like a white thick cable net sweater during the Fourth of July parade. <laughs> I'm like, it is summer in the South, y'all. We don't wear sweaters.
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, growing up, I always thought it was California. So then the sweaters made sense because it's, right. you know, a little cold in a seaside town at night. Like if it's Northern California as a kid, that made sense. You know, um, chunky sweaters, blah, blah, blah. During the day, it's hot and dry. But I didn't pick up on it being North Carolina until maybe I was a teenager. Like later in teenager, early 20s when I revisited the movie because I'm like, that movie with the people from Scooby-Doo. I saw that a yes. long time ago. <laughs> the Scooby-Doo movie. Oh, this ain't Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the it's like half Scooby-Doo, half Cruel Intentions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Part Cruel Intentions. A <laughs> little less incesty feelings. Thank God. Yeah. I feel like that's also my issue with most of the Scream movies as well. Is the is the assumed, like, everybody? this is everybody's way of life. When I'm watching them and I'm going, like, how much money do all these families have? Even the quote-unquote poor families in any of the Scream movies. And I'm talking one through five. I'm going, like, I would have given, I don't know, my left butt cheek to be... <laughs> and if you guys listen to our episode on Fresh, you know that I would not only want to give my... I would not only want to give my left butt cheek for, (laughs) please go back and listen to my thoughts on that further. But, you know, I would give anything to be halfway as comfortable as any of these people. And that goes into my viewing of most of like teen horror growing up too, just to bring up the classism part again, is like, I grew up not, we weren't hurting, but we weren't, like we were like the lowest rung of middle class like everybody else I knew got vacations everybody else I knew like got to do fun stuff or whatever like got a bunch of things whereas like we really didn't because we really didn't have the money for that or like you know we didn't really get a lot of things like I didn't grow up with a gaming console and all that kind of stuff like we didn't get an N64 until later and it was everybody's N64 you know what I mean (laughs) yeah but like uh it's more like i'm watching it and i'm like so even the movies where the classism isn't as explicit or nicely done as this movie um you know it's still there and i'm like you don't have to be like the oc or gossip girl or any of those other things where like the wealth is just obscene and like there's a stark difference you know
1: and i did think it was interesting that uh julie jennifer love hewitt's character is the only one that had aspirations to go to college although I guess it is implied that Barry goes to college I yeah it's like well because there's the whole line about you know he's like all right Mr. College quarterback which fits in his whole thing because that whole boxing scene I was like what the hell like I, I just remember being like we get it he's hot like Even now, as a a full-grown adult, I'm just like, all right, this is a little much. Um, But I think what's so interesting to me is that they do play with the classism a little bit, and they also play with a lot of the gender discussion, which I love. Um, And Helen especially just cracks me up because she is borderline a character from Drop Dead Gorgeous and without meaning to be. And I think, and we all know, like, you know, Kevin Williamson is that girl for me and my slasher affinity. (laughs) Um, I'm a scream girly. I'm a Kevin Williamson Stan. So obviously he had his hand in this as well. No pun intended. So everybody knows that for me, you know, Kevin Williamson is kind of it in terms of if I see that he's involved in a movie in any way, not even writer, just in any way I will watch it. And so to me, he had to have seen Drop Dead Gorgeous at this point because that came out well before this. Um, but there's also this idea of the mid-90s to early 2000s, quote, wholesome sexiness that we see get played up and... Um, And there's some other 90s slashers that this also happens in, and it's also with shows like The Girls Next Door. And if you follow me on social media, you know that's a weird, like, obsession of mine. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like the pinnacle of this Madonna horror complex that gets talked about. And, you know, when you do Feminism 101, it's like a baby feminist. (laughs) Um, But we see played out in the tropes of urban legend, like the man with a hook for a hand that obviously this movie is based on. But mm-hmm. Bob and I also kicked off our summer of slashers with urban legend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so, and then Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, Ray, is discussing on the beach at the beginning of the movie, like, you know, well, you're going to be babies and stuff. Make babies, yes. There's also this idea of the quote-unquote wholesome sexiness that kind of peaked during the mid-90s to the early aughts. And I think it really gets played up here, other 90s slashers, and then of course in shows like The Girls Next Door, which if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm low key obsessed with. Um, and it's this pinnacle of the Madonna horror complex. And, you know, that's kind of like one of the first terms that you learn when you start really diving into feminism at whatever age. But as a teenage girl, I was obsessed with that idea. But we see it played out in the tropes of urban legends, as Bobna and I discussed in our first episode of the summer on the movie urban legend, um, as we were going through our summer of slashers, but specifically for this movie, the urban legend of the man with a hook for a hand. And they're always a warning, you know, against a young woman being too promiscuous, but she should also, you know, go park with her boyfriend at, you know, lover's lane or whatever. So it's that idea that we can be sexy, but only for certain people and only at a certain time. Is it acceptable? And, you know, Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, Ray, discusses it on the beach at the beginning of the movie. And then J- Jennifer Love Hewitt as Julie is just like, you know, what, women can only have babies and get married? Like, we can't do anything else because Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, <laughs> Helen's like – you're going to become a famous quarterback and then I'm going to have your babies and And I love that. Julie is just like immediately. No, like I'm going to be my own woman. I'm going to go to college. Um, And that's so prevalent right now. And everything that we're facing that we were talking about before we started recording, Uh, unfortunately the current events in our country, (laughs) it's just so prescient. Like every time I go back to a '90s slasher, it's so prescient for what we're focusing on right now in our time and I swear Kevin Williamson has some sort of like crystal ball with pop culture. (laughs) Um, I love him to pieces. And I just, you know, I always harp on the cop scene in this movie where he mocks Sarah Michelle Gellar. He's like, oh, yeah, the psycho killer is on the loose and then gets snatched up by the hook. It's just so interesting to me that they chose to use that as kind of a cautionary tale of mocking young people instead of believing them. Uh, it, to me, that whole s- sequence spoke volumes on many, many, many subjects.
2: <laughs> right. And of I, I think in general, because the cop is also a man, like taking that. Track of this is the way that men explain and also discount women's experiences because when Julie says, well, actually, it's just a parable for women not to have premarital sex. Ray then goes ahead and mansplains to her, like, actually, it's an urban legend, which makes it a real thing. I'm like, you're going to mansplain to someone about an urban legend being a real story? What is wrong with you? Yeah. (laughs) I probably will not have a lot of favorable things to say about Ray, but... (laughs) I, had to come, I really hate Ray. <laughs> I had to come from that perspective because I think, I think Kevin Williamson knows what he's doing. I think it's important to him to to like put those messages in there in a, nat- a natural way. But it is such an interesting component of the women in this movie keep getting discounted, even though they see through the, the bullshit. <laughs> like, why are you trying yeah. to discount my experience? That's exactly what's making you die a violent death right now.
0: Which leads to one of the most iconic uh, gifts from the movie. (laughs) What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? (laughs) Um,
1: Why uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt didn't win multiple awards for that scene is beyond me. Uh, But she did get spoofed in a scary movie. (laughs) She did. She
0: did. did. But also, to bring back to your point too, Jamie, on the Madonna Horror Complex. Little side note, sorry, before I get to my point. uh, Because I grew up so not christian i literally thought they meant madonna the pop star and i was like what's the difference but
1: well i mean uh, she chose her name for a reason so
0: right i was like what i don't understand i'm like oh you mean jesus's mom got you (laughs) (laughs) anyway but back to jennifer love hewitt like she just plays her character is like aesthetically it fits into that so well because She's that quote unquote good girl, but then here she is with her like crop tops and her toned stomach that's like exposed and like her titties are hanging out and like all this stuff, but put a cardigan on her and it's wholesome. Mm. Okay. But the outfit that
1: SMG wears when they're like catwalking down (laughs) to get, you know, to tell Barry about everything, that's a look that same, is a look an entire sleigh and i was like i want that outfit um <laughs> the white
2: shirt white cutoff sleeves with the black yes amazing yes. immaculate yeah. i but want it all ex-
0: uh, <laughs> the vibes were great sarah michelle geller was great everything was great end of story we're done the pod let's go home um, we have nothing else to say <laughs> it up.
2: No. She, she was well, the movie let's go she was the movie <laughs> there there's so much she and there's was. so much more but I do think oh, it does so it does do an interesting flip too. I because you mentioned when Barry goes to the gym too, like we get the traditional sexy girl shower scene, but with a boy, which is an interesting thing. But with a boy, I love it. <laughs>
0: yeah. listen, I'm about it. And then they brought it back in the Covenant, and that was too many years later. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they waited too long. Yeah.
1: They did. Well, before we go on, you guys, I think it is about time for a quick commercial
0: break. Yeah, Stay tuned for some more free thoughts.
1: So something that I've texted about 14 million people about at this point is we get the sassy black friend a la Scream 2. uh, And it's Deb. And she's like, I'm going to get your pasty ass out of here and you're going to get some sun and go home to Julie. And she's the only black character for the majority of the movie. And she's literally just there to like, you know, snap her head and like swing her hips and, and be a trope. And I do understand, and I feel like I've said this every episode for like six episodes in a row now, I understand there was a level of satire to that. But you, if you're going to do satire, you have to do satire. You know, you got to go there with it. And I don't know. I just feel like we keep missing the mark with that. And again, I'm well aware of who all's involved with this. But the fact that this still counts as a black character, a black female character in horror is so sad.
0: It is. And it kind of brings me back to the point we made on our episode for Fresh, which is about a couple episodes behind, but it just dropped today. Woohoo, way back machine. But it brings me back to that point as well, because it's like, that's why both of us were kind of worried is for, is because of characters like Deb. We were worried mm-hmm. about Molly in Fresh because we're like, oh shit, is she going to be another 2D Like, character, caricature, stereotype, half-baked, satire, is it satire, or were they just lazy? We don't have time to unpack all that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, There is an interesting thing to unpack in that, and if I'm talking over you, just stop me. Oh, (laughs) no, go nuts. No, go ahead. (laughs) But this is coming out, you said, a la Scream 2. This movie came out just before Scream 2, and it uses Mm -hmm. a black woman in this way, and then Kevin Williamson doubles down on it in scream too by having jada pinkett smith's character call out the issues with those tropes while also making her this character and then also putting in a roommate friend part of it yes certainly that was the time that was a way that representation was seen but i also think there's that underlying like uh, gross ugly thing that i just wanted to call out because i see it played out in other places too of like inside every gay man there's a strong sassy black woman and so i, I think that, that mm-hmm. yeah i think that perception um that marginalization means that you understand or like can compare your marginalization to someone else's plays a role in that and that's why i think this trope comes up and happens in this movie right it's an extension of that exact issue um, that maybe it was unexamined by kevin williamson as a white gay male writer at that time. But I will say that pasty pale, tale of yours lives in my mind evermore. <laughs>
1: Bread free baby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. All of, all.
1: As someone who avoids the sun, uh, with a fervor, I get it, <sighs> but it's, you know, I think there is also something to be said for, again, cause it happens with, uh, the Southern family, <laughs> the fisherman's family, like a trope gets played up, whereas everybody else doesn't really have an accent and she does. And I'm just like,
0: mm-hmm. why? <laughs> why, Anne Heche, Why? <laughs> I know.
2: Yeah. Is that common? Do you feel like in this type of movie where there's the poor country folk, no matter where you're at in the United States generally, although maybe there is Canadian representation that's similar, like it's... <laughs> Uh, vernacular is played up, maybe more.
1: I was gonna say Letter Kenny, but <laughs> Letter Kenny, yeah, Letter
0: Kenny. So much letter pitter patter. Let's get at her. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but there is that like- thing where like the the teen characters are our hero characters are unmarked, right? Their accent is kind of yeah broad, and then it- the royal characters are all countrified, whatever that sounds like. <laughs>
0: reference a movie i know jamie's not a fan of <laughs> but in it's just like house of a thousand corpses right like the caravan of, of teens roaming through or from wherever they can be anywhere i would say from like the northeast just to be generic or california mm-hmm. i don't know or the northwest basically anywhere but the central or south of of the united states but then you meet the family and they've all got that generic hillbilly accent to them and stuff and i'm just like We didn't need the voice, too. We can see what you're trying to go for through the costume. We don't need... That's overkill. Right.
1: Right. And also, Stan the Mechanic brought this up. I love Stan. He's an icon. Uh, He brought this up in a discussion where it's almost like hillbilly exploitation. And there are other hillbilly exploitation films, a la House of a Thousand Corpses and about a million other um, of his movies. But... Everybody likes to shit on the South, like the mm-hmm. global South in general, but also the Southern United States. And I I do think that there was some underlying uh, prejudice within the writing and with the producing team that was involved in this, because around this time was when it really became popular in, in America to be like, well, you know, the South is just a bunch of inbreds and you know, which Of course, the irony being that the royal family of Great Britain is like the most inbred of all time. Um, So the most high class, you know, people are the most inbred. But it's very interesting to me how, again, class, as we've kind of discussed at length now, gender and race all intersect in this movie in a way that I don't think modern storytellers have really been able to get at outside of Jordan Peele. And I... You know, as of this recording, Nope has not come out yet, so I can't speak for that one. Um, But the closest that gets to this is the family dinner scene in Get Out. And I kind of understood, you know, there's that moment of Southern genteelism and and covert racism. But I say all that to say, what this film does well is show a very honest sister relationship, number one. Even if it's a little played up cartoon villain. (laughs)
2: just have to breathe breathing through that
1: away from their mic it's <laughs> a lot we all felt that we're like we did. Oh, I don't even have a sister but i have a older sibling that you know i mean enough.
0: such iconic lines as eat me
1: Yeah. Uh, she just i mean listen sucks. if my name was elsa sh- she does and if my name was elsa shivers i
0: think i'd be a bitch to everyone is too. valid yeah. question is that where frozen got their inspiration <laughs> from? Because Elsa shivers. Come on. I, it, it wrote it. I mean
1: I know Nightmare on Fear Street brought this up in their episode as well because we all share the same brain cell at this point. And it, I was just like, I've been thinking that for the past ten years. She's um, also blonde as <laughs> hell. I know. Also, can we kind of veer off this? Sorry, this is like a complete left turn from our serious conversation.
0: Her kill is one of my favorites.
2: Oh mm. same interesting Same. it's
0: also a legitimate one of f- like uh it's a fear of mine i used to work in retail Same. where i had to lock up i had to lock up at, uh, a wine store at 11 p.m we were open yeah. till 11 all every day except for sunday like I, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. it was a giant fear of mine especially because i worked in like a neighborhood where when bruce MacArthur was rampant like oh god not that i would have been one of his victims but i still worked in the neighborhood <laughs> like,
1: yeah that's still scary
0: that is that is scary because we had the missing posters all up so <laughs> but no her kill great especially like probably one of my top five kills of the movies of those ear of that era like the 96 mm. 97 98 99 era huh? of, of slasher uh, 99 was just a freebie in there yeah <laughs>
2: yeah and i like how effective the movie is without overly emphasizing gore that was an e- A thing the director Jim Gillespie was really seeking and obviously from studio and from producers it was like well this is the 90s slasher movie it's like we just saw scream blood's kind of a thing we want um but he originally (laughs) shot that scene with Bridget Wilson like without blood right she got attacked and you didn't see blood and then he reshot it with like the blood smear the iconic blood smear going onto the window yes And he said that was more effective. He just didn't want it to be like this really graphic um, off-putting thing, which is totally commendable. Like it can work as its movie. You can do violence in the way that you want to do it. I don't think it always has to be grotesque or gratuitous. I like it when it is, you know, I'm here for movies that do that. it's It's not the tone of this movie and that's great.
0: It was more off-putting to see, like, the bodies come out of the ice that look like yeah. plastic pellets. Holy that shit. was a that little was more dis- off-putting than a blood smear on a window. Disgusting.
1: Yeah. So, I want to talk about the blood for just a second. Because we have a moment at the beginning when we think one character is about to die. And then, obviously, he doesn't. But they do that weird fade to black thing. And I was like, was this movie made for TV when I first saw it? Because <laughs> I very much... Was like you, Kevin, I couldn't even watch things that were rated PG-13. Um, it had to be a very specific PG-13 movie. Like, I think the only one I was allowed to watch was, like, Forrest Gump.
3: Because
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. my mom was, like, obsessed with it. But um, maybe that's why, I don't know. I love slashers, but I specifically love these slashers that came out in this this era. Because it's violence with blood, which I can enjoy. But there's no true gross-out moment, which I prefer um, if I'm mm-hmm. going to, like, you know, marathon something. Although, we are also big fans of Friend of the Pod's uh, Ian Carpenter show, Slasher. And his version of Slasher is extremely gory. <laughs> um, but oh,
0: my it's God. That, it's yeah. See, was lot. it season is season four the one in the apartment complex? Or was that season three? That three. one was three. So gory. Massive. The Goriest thing I've seen it. on TV. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Loved every moment so, of it. So,
1: yeah. So... I think too, there's a kind of thread you can follow of the violation of bodies Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and specifically female bodies and the way that they get treated in slasher films versus how male victims get treated and how few and far between male victims happen, (laughs) even in the most, you know, quote unquote, progressive films. Um, But I think it's just... There's so many kills in this movie that I wanted more from, but I'm also Mm -hmm. glad a couple of them were not more, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah, we don't get a lot of blood in this movie for for all that it's talked up to be.
0: No, we don't.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I appreciate the restraint of this movie, which is not generally (laughs) something I say for slashers. Like... (laughs) Slash it, like, show me the slashing. That's what I want. This movie, (laughs) I I totally forgive it. It's totally, it's fine. Um. That's one of the things I I love about this movie uh, is
0: that because unlike the other slashers of its time, the, you know, like the 96, 97, 98, 99 uh, films is that like all of those have some kind of like, I'm going to call it Michael Myers syndrome behind their killers like for example in scream yeah. um it gets explained later that there's two killers but you know you know it can't be the work of one typical human like to the point where they're like what is this you know and like they kind of carry that into the subsequent scream films as well like even after you find out it's one person he still has that whoever Ghostface is at the time has still has that like supernatural kind of thing behind it and we just talked about h2o as well and like in that one obviously You have Michael Myers who just won't fucking die <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> He just Even won't fucking die
0: Yeah so the, so To bring back to my point like the thing that I Love about this one is that this is one of those It could happen to me Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like any one of the, Any one of these situations could happen to me I mean inject me with some cash and maybe it can Like <laughs> Buy me a car <laughs> Or give me a friend that has a car Nearby like maybe I'm a city kid guys we don't have cars.
2: Um, oh, it's, yes. <laughs> I can vouch for that.
0: If, I mean, I, I wouldn't be driving a bus or a subway train, but we could make it work. <laughs> Especially not after a night on the beach. But I digress. But, uh, you know, of all of the ones that came out during this time, Urban Legends, Scream, uh, Halloween H2O. I, th- I think Resurrection was a little further back, if I remember correctly. Bef- Something like that. It was after... Oh, right. Yeah. After. Uh, Freddy versus Jason was in there somewhere, too. Yeah. Which is <laughs> which, a mess. <laughs> <laughs> which is a mess. Or, like, uh, Freddy's Dead, I think. No, no. That was a few years beforehand. Never mind. That was number five. Yeah, but, yes. regardless, this was the thing that scared me the most. And the thing I appreciate the most about this film, and most slasher films in general, is that, like, could this happen to me? Because that's way more terrifying
2: than some clown in a mask. Yeah. Always. Yeah. That's what I always say. I'm not... I- always really invested or involved in supernatural horror so I really have to like uh, pick and choose I guess there (laughs) whereas I'm always invested in a more a a slasher because it's more grounded or giallo or like something that even if it goes totally off the wall is still grounded in like a pocket of reality (gasps) I just need a slice a sliver of reality and I'm good
1: (laughs) (laughs) a slice but um yeah just a slash of reality. Well, and mm-hmm. also because there's so many convoluted pieces in this movie, I'm so glad that you brought this up, Kevin. That like the killer reveal in this movie is as confusing as the size of the boat in this movie, like and the layout of the boat.
2: <laughs> oh, that like the ending. Uh, that boat uh, had Ben's like boat. four
1: yeah. levels. I was
0: like, what the fuck? Yeah, it doesn't
2: that make sense. boat
0: was the TARDIS. It was bigger on the inside. <laughs> Correct.
2: <laughs> yeah. Tardis it just of the kept sea. going I'm like, wait. Now, where is she? Why is there a whole ice
0: chest? Yeah.
2: <laughs> bath situation why is I mean, there I guess something she can block fish, him but... off
0: from. Like, why is this like, uh is yeah. this Chuck E. Cheese, but for ice and dead people? Like, I don't understand. Like,
1: okay, so time to show just how country I am and, and was growing up. <laughs> so. I've been deep sea fishing before off the coast with my dad and I've been on one of those boats where you have like an ice bay underneath the main deck, Mm -hmm. but it is not some convoluted maze where you're like, you can't crawl through it. Like you can't fit there. So I get it. It was a commercial fishing boat. That was like the bread and butter of the people, you know, of the small fishing town. But it, it's not that the killer reveal confused me, but it just was very, like you said earlier, Kevin, it was just very convoluted.
0: <laughs> to, to bring back the point of the Ice Bay, though, for just a second, and to play on the themes of the, subqu- the end of the movie and the subsequent films, me, and I'm going to give this film way too many points for this because I'm pretty sure this <laughs> wasn't the point, but maybe it was one of Julie's hallucinations.
1: Oh, we can get into that when we cover... <laughs> The sequel, because what a mess!
2: I'm
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, but I doubt it was that. I'm not. If you're not sure. Points.
2: <laughs> make it a hallucination. Actually, well, I have a couple ways to go on this. Maybe we'll just stick with convoluted. Do, do all
1: of the, them because
2: I, I really don't think it. I don't think it's that convoluted, but I, for one thing, I first saw this when I was like 12 Same. years old, <laughs> right? So even though I wasn't allowed, I found ways. Um, but it just made sense to me. Like I just took it at face value and took it for granted. Like, yeah, that's how a story can unfold. But watching it this last time, I I thought about it and I was like, no, they explain everything. Like we know who Ben is um, because he's the father of this girl who died that caused this other guy to die. Uh, (laughs) I'm not gonna get too much into unsolving the mystery. Like, yes, I guess if I have to try to explain it to someone else, it is convoluted. And the, the reason I guess it's maybe a problem, I don't find it a problem. I love it that it's this way, but it just goes unexplained, right? Yeah. It's, it's intuitive. Uh, you're discovering it and putting the pieces together just through Julie and how she's realizing what's happening. And she doesn't have all the pieces together either. She just recognized when she goes to talk to uh, Missy Egan the second time that her brother, did not commit suicide or did not die by his own hand, right? That, that she realizes that there's some, something different. So she puts the pieces together for us, but there's not like an explicit, like, Oh, this is what happened. Like we just kind of put it together. And then she stumbles into the murderer at the same time. It's not a connection of like, I discovered the murderer and I know it's you, which is kind of the typical reveal um, in a slasher film, it subverts that typical reveal in a really interesting way. So, convoluted, but I think I'm into it. But, you know, I feel like every single point we make, I'm like, but I'm into it. So Same. Maybe I'm just really biased in, in, in major favor because I love this movie so much.
1: Well, I'm so glad that you brought up the part of her just kind of stumbling into being able to piece together who the killer is. Mm-hmm. because. She's the only final girl that is kind of dumb <laughs> i I don't <laughs> like that part <laughs> um I'm will never you think
0: Julie's dumb I know I'm shocked not- I mean Noah was kind of dumb,
1: yeah really but, dumb, yeah, but she got it rescued so that tracks <laughs> well okay, I guess technically. <sighs> I'm going to have
2: I have a whole thesis about Julie now
1: so. <laughs> oh go, please go ahead, because I have very complicated feelings about her and uh Sarah Michelle Geller in this movie.
2: Oh, for sure no, I do want to of course, I want to know what you did last summer as you were <laughs> coming upon these these characters, <laughs> but no, watching it this time I mean, I guess I've always felt this way, and of course we love Helen shivers to death like she is she is the moment she is the movie, she makes the whole thing um. <laughs> And I get why people think Julie is kind of a boring final girl. But the more I sit with it and think about it um, and, like, look at her, examine her. I mean, A, I think Jennifer Love Hewitt is doing a great job. Like, her acting oh, is, is really strong for what this role is is asking for her. Like, she delivers. But more so the point that I do like Julie as a person more in that first 25 minutes, the first summer, because she's given... Uh, traits about, I can use my intellect, I can share, I can be funny through that. Um, And then the second part, the main part of the movie is her dealing with trauma and dealing with secrecy and dealing with guilt. And so she's closed off and her personality is very divorced from what it was before. So as much as I would want her to be that Julie that we saw in the first 25 minutes, I also understand why she's not. Um, And I also understand like why she's wearing these bigger clothes, right? She has these big overalls on. She's wearing the sweaters, um, the big pants, all of this thing where it's <laughs> like, yeah, I think it is really well examined. It really is examining uh, a trauma or a PTSD and especially one that comes with guilt for something that you've caused. Um, so as as unsatisfying, I guess, as that can feel in what should be like a popcorn slasher <laughs> setting, I I don't know, I appreciate that because it feels grounded and it feels like a realistic character, even if we don't like her as much.
1: No, I completely agree. I'm just sitting here shocked that we made it, you know, 50 something minutes into our conversation. And I haven't brought up Julie's trauma (laughs) 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 given (laughs) given the nature of our podcast. She reacted Mm. the way uh, I think a lot of people react when they have their first major trauma that like shut down. Um, And everybody copes in different ways. But I know me, I joke all the time that I have like stress narcolepsy. Like if I get stressed out enough, I will literally just be like, I just need to shut my eyes for five minutes. Um, It's just your body being like, nope, can't handle it, can't do it. And I cracked up when you said the overalls because, God, they're so big. Um, I feel like Gen Zers are just watching this movie now and being like, yes, to everything that these characters wear. Um, But
2: They're not the only ones. I do want everything, (laughs) at least that Julie and Helen are wearing. Yeah, listen, I I want Helen's
1: whole (laughs) uh, closet. I'm obsessed. I like
0: what Barry's not wearing.
1: Uh, That too. We like that part too. But I think it's so interesting how everybody reacts because – you know, Helen winds up being too frozen, pun intended, to go to New York City, right? Like Julie barely (laughs) makes it through her first year of college. Uh, Barry's kind of stuck. You know, Ray is trying to piece together a life. And when you have something, first of all, it's one of my biggest fears to like accidentally hit somebody while I'm driving at night. Like I hate, I hate driving at night. And I'm like, I know I sound 80 years old right now, you guys, Um, but that's already one of my biggest fears. So I'm with Bob now that like, this was one of the first slashers where I was like, holy shit, this could happen, Um, which is great when you have anxiety, but So great. Yeah. It just, there were parts of this movie that I was just like, oh, I can relate to this so much. So for those that don't know, uh, my freshman year of college ended with a tornado coming through my- college town. And unfortunately, a lot of people passed away. And it was literally like the biggest tornado in the history of Alabama. It was over a mile wide. And so Mm. having this like bright, fun first year of college end in this like very devastating way. And I, you know, I had to pack up my dorm in the dark, like we didn't have power. (laughs) And, and, you know, I can look back now and be like, well, you wound up safe and everything. But that first summer home, Like everyone wanted to talk about it and everyone, it was kind of the opposite of this, right? Where like nobody was talking about it. No one knew what was going on. But like at some Mm -hmm. point you just shut down. And so that I could relate to heavily. And I think it also goes with the flow of the movie because I felt like for the most part, it was a little winding until we get to the best part of the movie, in my opinion. And Kevin, you also noted this. The iconic Sarah Michelle mm. Geller Chase. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on it because it's literally my favorite part of the movie.
2: So many thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it is iconic. I, I even noted that and then I talked about another little section. Um, so I guess maybe my cap off of all my points is that I don't know if it happened in the writing or they adjusted it once they cast Sarah Michelle Geller, but they focus so much of like the, horror elements on her, right? She's really the only one we see extensively getting terrorized. Um, we do have the scene with Barry getting hit by the car, but that's a shorter sequence. And we get two separate sequences earlier in the movie where the killer comes to her house. And then of course the chase scene, which I love. I think it's a great, just little mini horror movie on its own. Yeah,
1: I love it. Uh, well, I guess we can go ahead and get into some of our final thoughts. Bobno, why don't you go first?
0: oh boy which final thoughts to start with (laughs) um i think all of them okay well here's the here's the final thought as convoluted as this movie's ending was it will always be so much better than that tv show (laughs) because i don't know if our like i mean our listeners are probably aware there was a tv show that was released on amazon prime up here i don't know what it was released on In the States. Same. Yeah. Which actually uh, my friend John made me watch uh, because he was hate tweeting it. And then I was like, what do you hate this much? And he's like, (laughs) they made a TV show about I Know What You Did Last Summer. I'm like, huh? How do you do that? Because of the ending of the film, I'm like, how do you genuinely do that? Yeah. You know, because I feel like the ending of this movie is just tied in so much to what the movie is, in a sense. Like, you could have fine, you can have a generic plot where, fine, you accidentally, teens accidentally kill somebody, they cover it up, somebody knows, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of what they went with with this TV show, but maybe I'm just old? I don't know. <laughs> but they, like, really played up the classism in this one way in the TV show more than the movie. Like, I don't know if you either of you have seen mm-hmm. the TV show you have. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. and um, I
2: have seen it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's a hot mess. It's a hot mess express. So bad. Especially in comparison. Like, so I don't care how messed up, convoluted, like, Charlie Day, here's my, like, pin board and whiteboard <laughs> of how to explain <laughs> this movie goes. It will, it, uh, the TV show just can't hold a candle. And I'm like, people are like, we want a season two. I'm like, of what? Of more garbage? Like Yeah. Of more, like, kids that need therapy more than they need, like, you know. At least in the movie, there was a reason why someone was coming after Mm -hmm. them. Like, a clear-cut reason. And I'm going to spoil the TV show for anyone that hasn't seen it. Because really just don't. Like, the person that knows is one of the teens. And she was just fucking jealous. That's it. That's it. That's the whole reason. And she has more money than God. So she has. and she fakes BPD. Oh. Pretty much. I forgot yeah. about
1: that because I, Yeah. I, like, hate-watched the first, like, three episodes, and I was like, I'm done here. Uh, Bhavna, why don't you include favorite line and favorite kill?
0: All right. Favorite line is uh, is from our lovely fisherman, Ben. When you kill a man, make sure he's really dead. <laughs>
1: That was very Emperor's New Groove, like when Isma's like, "Is he dead, Kronk?" And he's like, "Well,
0: he's not as dead as we hoped he'd be." <laughs> I mean, that lines right up there with Zombie Land with the double tap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and favorite kill, you said, um, yeah. Elsa. Yeah, Elsa.
1: Kevin, I know you kind of already said your initial final thoughts, but is there anything else you want to add? And then you can go into a favorite line or not, and then a favorite kill.
2: Oh, gosh, yes. Okay, I need to break it down. Um, I think that this movie is great to look back on 25 years later. And read so much into, like you mentioned, Jamie, It's there's prescience, but it is also the that functional, fundamental thing of slashers and how they fit into f- like folktale literature, right? This one very directly expresses it because it is talking about urban legends early on and it connects to an urban legend myth. Um, and so I think that's what is important about watching movies like this and being open to them and letting open text type of movies like this really work work their magic on you. So like as as much or as little as you want to take away from it, I think this is a great movie for that. Um, I think its adaptability works, even with a trashy TV series. (laughs) Um, This idea, this urban legend thread that comes out of the movie can turn into other things. Um, It's also coming from a book by Lois Duncan, Mm -hmm. who, you know, I love Lois Duncan all, you know, respect to her. She did not love this movie. I also understand why. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. You can look up Lois Duncan. I guess would be <laughs> my final thought. Find out things about Lois Duncan. It's pretty cool. Uh, but if you haven't seen it, you need to you need to add it into your horror movie diet. Yes, it's a classic. <laughs> oh gosh, and favorite lines. There's so there's so many things. I I always <laughs> like this really cheesy line though where Ray says, uh, you know, high school sweetheart relationships (laughs) stand uh, out more than other relationships. And Julie says, yeah, cite your source.
1: Yeah.
2: Immaculate.
1: He's like, high school relationships have a 60% chance, higher chance than any other of staying together. And she's like, Mm
2: -hmm. no,
1: like, don't think that's true.
2: And then he just like points to his heart. It's your source. So cheesy. Cheesy. Love it. Uh, Favorite kill. I actually really am into Max's kill. Like both getting a hook in the (laughs) the chin and also being buried with a bunch of crabs in a trunk.
1: (laughs) We didn't even talk about the crabs in the trunk yet.
0: But yeah, (laughs) or
2: Johnny Galecki. (laughs) Or Shani Galecki or like—I mean, he's such a nothing. But
0: he already had his like uh, Roseanne fame before this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was already like, was it Darlene's boyfriend on Roseanne? Yeah. But uh, I guess for our younger listeners, he was on Big Bang Theory. He was the annoying one. (laughs) Fun fact: they're all annoying. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I was like that. Narrows it down.
2: (laughs) Spoiler alert! (laughs) Spoiler alert! They're all
0: annoying, but only one of them's actually really hot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i'm not biased or anything um <laughs> but oh man that that hook to the chin though kevin fuck <laughs> ow yeah. never that uh, that reminds that um that's partially why uh one of my favorite scenes from hot fuzz is when uh oh. when Timothy Dalton's character runs gets gets impaled by the church steeple. Uh it gets hit right under his, his chin, right up and it goes right through his mm-hmm. mouth.
1: Oh my god. Now I want to watch Hot Fuzz.
0: I, I always want to watch Hot Fuzz. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well Kevin stole my favorite kill, so same. That's that's one of my favorite it's one of my favorites. <laughs> Only because he gets like dragged across that hot steam and all I can think of is just like how much that would hurt. Um, I'm a very visceral, empathetic person when it comes to painful things in TV shows and movies. And That's probably why I have, I fluctuate with having like a higher or a lower gore tolerance depending on like, you know, where I am at that day. Mm-hmm. But that and then seeing his body covered in crabs, I was like, at least he was already dead so he couldn't feel the little tiny pinchers all over him. And then when that like crawdad crawls out of his mouth, I, (laughs) so gross. Can't do it. Um, I also do love Elsa's kill, but yes, uh, he's definitely my favorite. Um, My final thought is just this movie. Don't go into it, reading into it as much as we did necessarily every time. You can absolutely just enjoy it. But I think too, it's really easy to project your teenage fears onto this film Um, and it's a really interesting thing that happens and I know we've talked about this ad nauseum on other episodes where a lot of the reason so many of us with anxiety flock to horror is because it's almost like it's the inevitable and I I say that all the time that's my definition Mm. of horror it's an inevitable thing that's happening and you can't stop it so you you have to graduate high school I mean they say at the beginning of the movie there's that drunken guy at the party and he's like you know here's our last night of Teenage debauchery or adolescent debauchery. I love how educated all the teenagers are in this movie. They have great vocabularies, uh, but it's you have to grow up. Like you have to eventually face consequences for your actions, and that's scary. <laughs> and like Bobma said, yes, there's the very visceral, very realistic possibility of getting stalked and killed, especially as a woman. But I mean. That shift from teenagerdom to all of a sudden adulthood is very abrupt for a lot of people. I know it was for me. And I just think this film captures so much of that anxiety of growing up. You know, Scream was pretty solidly in high school. And then obviously we get to see them through their college years and into their adulthood. But it's a gradual three to four movie thing. You know, three movie arc originally. Mm -hmm. And with this movie, it's just like, boom, right in your face, shift to adulthood. And we get to see the various, you know, classes and how that happens for them, whether you get to go to college or not, whether you have to pick up a trade, whether you work at your parents store, you know, and you give up your dreams to a certain degree. But I say all that to say, it's always going to have a special place in my heart, and I'm so glad that you came on to discuss it, because I know you and I bonded over how much we love this movie. <laughs> um, I want everything that Helen Chivers wears in this movie. My favorite line is <laughs> definitely not one I think a lot of people would expect and also like might not remember, but when Julie's sitting at the kitchen table and her mom just goes, are you on drugs? <laughs> I die every fi- every time, every time I bust out laughing, uh, mostly because that happened mm-hmm. to me more than once with my mom. And I was like, no, I'm just depressed <laughs> as a teenager. And so uh, it's just really funny to me that her mom is, are you on drugs? It's so 90s. It's so 90s. Yeah. <sighs> well, Kevin, thank you so much for being our guest this week. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and the podcast on Every possible platform.
2: <laughs> oh, gosh, so many. Um, great. Well, I run The Calls Are Coming From Inside the podcast where we talk about horror movies. And you can find us if you go to Anchor FM or really any podcast platform of your choice, right? Just look up The Calls Are Coming From Inside the podcast. You can also find us on social media, both Twitter and Instagram at Calls Inside Pod. That's all one word Calls Inside Pod. And my personal Twitter too, where I generally talk more on there than I do share things through <laughs> the the podcast account um, at Dirty Devlin. And maybe if you stick around to the podcast, you might find out where my handle comes from.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this has been an absolute blast, y'all. Uh, you can find the bloody broads as at bloody Pod on twitter and instagram you can also shoot us an email bloodybroadspod at at gmail.com you can find us on apple spotify anchor every platform you get your podcasts please leave us a review and if you didn't like this episode where can they leave it bhavna
0: in a five-star review <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right and, guys oh Until and don't forget week.
0: to sign up for our patreon
1: Oh, I always keep forgetting about that. Yes, we have a Patreon <laughs> now. <laughs> All right, until next week, guys. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.